following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Romans chapter 1, Romans 1. As I've been talking about uh, this, this morning, I'm going to introduce a, a new series uh, through the book of Romans, and uh, and uh, I, I get excited about every series I do. Otherwise, I wouldn't do them, right? Uh, but but I'm especially excited uh, to dive into Romans today because it just doesn't get any better than Romans. It is it's the pinnacle, and um, and Romans uh, first began to really impact my heart in, in undergrad. I took a class in the book of Romans and. And, uh, and just learned so much in that class about the gospel and about the Christian life and, and uh, really in, in some ways grew to love the word in a different way in that, in that class than I ever had before. And then had a very unique opportunity in, in grad school. Um, when I was at Northland, they had a, a little extension campus in Denver and they asked me to go out and teach the book of Romans as a block class uh, on the, at the end of Christmas break. So they asked me this like, a week before Christmas break started, and so I spent the first four weeks of my Christmas break just writing a syllabus. Like, I would go out and help my dad chore on the farm, because he broke his foot, and I'd do chores, and then I'd come in, and from like noon until like 10 p.m., I would write the syllabus. And that's all I did all through Christmas break, and then the fifth week of Christmas break, uh, I, I went out to Denver and, and taught that class, and, and it was an exhausting Christmas. It was not a break. Uh, but it was the best Christmas break I had uh, all, all throughout my years. And, and God did so much in my heart through that. And, uh, and, so, I, and so because of, of how much I loved Romans, when I uh, did youth group for nine years, uh, Romans 5 through 8 was part of my four-year uh, senior high curriculum. And so three times I taught through Romans 5 through 8 with our teenagers. And so I've spent a lot of time in the book of Romans. Um, but, but, but it's true that, that every time I've studied this book, it's been impactful and, and powerful, and I always learn something more than I had seen before. And, and so I, I love uh, how Martin Luther put it in the preface to his commentary on, on Romans. He says, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Now that's a strong quote. And of course, Luther never said anything softly. Um, but it's a strong quote, but, but, but it's true. And, and of course, uh, we, we know from church history that it was very true for Luther himself. That, that God radically changed the course of Luther's life through the book of Romans, and, and through changing Luther, God changed the course of human history. And that is not an overstatement at all. So, so this book has had a massive impact. But, but I think as well, this quote uh, really reflects my own experience. You know, as he says there, that this book can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. That is absolutely true. And I pray that'll be your experience too, that, that maybe you already love the book of Romans, and if not, 
Hopefully God will use this series to to give you a love for this book like you've never had before. And and so this morning, I want to introduce our series, and I especially want to emphasize that Romans is not just a book of theology and of commands. Now, sometimes we we think of Romans, and all we think about is is all the the doctrine, all the theology, and all the complexities of the book, or, or maybe we think of the practical implications at the end of the story. But, but, but if you really are going to understand Romans, you have to understand that it is an occasional letter that was born out of human stories, the story of the Roman church and the story of Paul. And, and so today, and that story is important for understanding the details of Romans and how they fit together into a unified message. So this morning, uh, uh, this sermon's going to be a little different than normal. This is going to be a little more nerdy in some senses than all of my nerdy sermons, um, but, but a little more nerdy, and, and so a little different, and so I'm just going to give you a broad overview of the book and, uh, and what it means for us, and I hope that, that this foundation we'll lay today will, will help bring the book to life and, and help you see how all little pieces fit together into a unified message. So to begin... Let's read Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So so verse seven says that this book was written for all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. So let's begin today by talking about the audience, which of course is the Roman church. Now, now the New Testament doesn't tell us a whole lot about how the Roman church began. Of course, the Catholic church is going to tell you that the apostle Peter started the Roman church and then became the Pope from Rome. And it is true that, that several of the early church fathers say that, that Peter did minister in the city of Rome But it is very unlikely from the evidence that we have that he actually started the church. And I say that because uh, we we know that the Roman church was started pretty early in church history. Uh, But but by Acts 15, at the end of Paul's first missionary journey, Peter is still living in in the city of Jerusalem. And and as well, um, Paul never mentions Peter in the book of Romans. So if Peter had actually started the church or if he actually were living in Rome when when Paul wrote the book of Romans, then you would certainly expect at least some kind of mention of Peter. So so how then did this church get started? Well, the best theory from the evidence we have is is that early Jewish converts carried the gospel to Rome and founded the church. And in fact, the history of the Roman church may go all the way back to Pentecost. Because Acts 2 verse 10 says that when Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost, it says that there were Jews from Rome who were present and heard Peter preach. 
So I think it's very likely that, that some of those people, very first Christian sermon, got saved. And then they went back to Rome. And they began sharing the gospel with other, other Jews there in Rome, and, and as well, God-fearing Gentiles who would attend the synagogue. And, and so because of that, it seems that in the early years, the Roman church had a very Jewish orientation. And, and that's, in fact, uh, what one of the early church fathers, Ambrosiaster, says, that, that the Roman church initially was, was very much a Jewish congregation. And it's interesting that, that we also have a secular historian named Suetonius uh, who, who, who confirms this. So Suetonius, this is an interesting little tidbit, uh, he was writing in about 120 A.D., of course, uh, a number of years after the church began, and, and he writes in his History of Rome uh, a little story about the emperor Claudius. So Claudius uh, reigned, he was a Caesar of Rome from 41 to 54. So right in the middle of Paul's missionary journeys. And he has this quote in his history. He says that Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome because they were constantly rioting at the instigation of Crestus. Now pretty much everyone today has agreed that he confused Crestus for Christos. So, 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 so we can kind of understand and imagine what happened. You know, that some of these Jews, they get saved, they come back to Rome, they begin to preach the gospel, and some of the Jews get saved. God begins to work, He begins to build a church, but other Jews, they become hostile. They are opposed to the gospel, and so before long, the entire Jewish community there in Rome begins to erupt with with riot and, and with angst over the person of Christ, over Jesus. And it gets to be so heated that, 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 that ultimately it makes its way to the emperor and, and, and he decides to just kick all the Jews out of Rome. You're making a mess. You're irritating us. So he kicks all of them out. And in fact, uh, Acts chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 allude to this very thing. So, so Acts 18, verses 1 and 2 state, After these things, he, Paul, uh, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So so I think all this is, is, is first of all, fascinating confirmation of the Bible's historical accuracy. That, That Luke, I mean, he's talking about this edict, which... You know, we don't, at this time, when, when Luke wrote, have any other historical confirmation of it, he, he talks about this edict expelling the Jews from Rome, and then lo and behold, years later, Suetonius, this Roman secular historian, brings it up. It's fascinating confirmation, but, but I think in particular, it is an interesting window into, into the gospel's swift impact in the city of Rome. And so think about the fact that less than 20 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, the gospel is making such an impact in Rome, that the center of the world at this time, the gospel is making such an impact that it makes its way to the ears of Claudius. And, and, and it gets his attention and causes him to, to kick the Jews out. But, but we can imagine, though, that while that, that's an incredible testimony to the gospel's power, that this, this edict of Claudius had devastating effects on the Roman church 
and the shape of its future. So another important point to recognize about this church is that the decree of Claudius shifted the Roman church from a Jewish majority to a Gentile majority. So, so when the Jews had to leave Rome, the gospel didn't stop working. No, it just began to spread among the Gentiles there in the city of Rome, and many of them got saved. Now, that's awesome, but we also have to understand, this is important for understanding Romans, that it dramatically changed the shape of the church there. So, so in the early years, the church was dominated by people who followed Jewish scruples. They obeyed Jewish food laws and observed Jewish holy days and did all those things. And then all those Jews get kicked out. Gentiles become the majority, and it's not long before they're eating ham at the church potlucks and they're playing softball on the Jewish Sabbaths. I mean, everything is different. And because of that, and then in A.D. 54, Claudius dies. When Claudius dies, his edict goes out of, of circulation, and, and all these Jewish Christians begin to come back into Rome. And in fact, uh, Romans 16, verse 3 tells us that Priscilla and Aquila came back to Rome. So, so they are in Rome when, when Paul writes this letter. And, but when they came home, they came home to a very different church than the one that they started and the one that they left. And now, instead of it being where they're in charge and they're in control and they're a majority, now they are in the minority. And Romans confirms that they're in the minority because when Paul writes, his assumption is is that the Roman church is is basically a Gentile congregation. Now, just imagine how all of that would create conflict in the church. And this conflict played a major role in the shaping of the book of Romans. So so this church has big questions about the relationship of law and grace. How are we we made right with God? And how do we grow in godliness in a context without the Mosaic law governing all of that? What does all this mean for the future of Israel? And if the law is not there to create a unified, monolithic culture, right? because the law didn't just tell you what godliness was, it governed every detail of life. It created a culture. So you eliminate the law. Well, how do we love each other and how do we get along when we don't all come from the same culture and we don't all do the same things? And how should the church fulfill its new mission to take the gospel to all the nations? So folks, those are very important and very practical questions that really were affecting the life of this church. So that's what's going on in Rome. Let's talk next about the author. And of course, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says very clearly that Paul is the author of this letter. And it's worth emphasizing that that really no serious scholar, whether conservative or liberal, questions Paul's authorship of Romans. That the evidence inside the letter is overwhelmingly in favor of that. And as well, the the evidence from early church fathers, others uh, of the time, is, is very clearly that Paul indeed wrote the book of Romans. So so that said, what was going on in Paul's life when he wrote this book? Well, uh, a few things. In answer to that, we can be fairly certain that Paul wrote Romans from Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey. So turn over to chapter 15, all right? Chapter 15, because Paul tells us some important information about what's going on in his life when he writes the book of Romans. So let's read uh, Romans 15, verses 22 to 29. 
Paul says, For this reason I have been often prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make excuse me, a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. As they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles administered to their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on, their, on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. All right, so, so here's a map of Paul's second and third missionary journey. And so uh, the red line is Paul's third trip. So, so he starts in Antioch, works his way all the way around, comes up and around to Corinth, and then he works back and ultimately comes down to Jerusalem. All right? And uh, the book of Acts makes a big deal uh, about this collection of an o- this offering that, that Paul collects for, for the Gentiles to essentially show their unity and support for the, for the Jews there in, in Jerusalem. And, and then Acts makes a really big deal about his trip for, from his third missionary journey back to Jerusalem. And, and these verses very clearly place the writing of Romans in, in that particular context. And even more specifically, some of the people that Paul mentions in Romans 16 indicate that he is writing from Corinth. So Corinth, of course, is right here, uh, down in southern Greece or Achaia. So so verse 1 of chapter 16 mentions Phoebe, who is from Cancria. And you can see Cancria is right here next to Corinth, and so it was a port city. As well, as chapter 16, verse 23 mentions that he is staying in the home of Gaius and And 1 Corinthians tells us that Gaius is from Corinth. And as well, uh, verse 23 of Romans 16 mentions Erastus, who uh, in 2 Timothy 4 tells us that Erastus was almost certainly also from Corinth. So so, so all that together is strong evidence that Paul wrote Romans from Corinth at the end of his third missionary journey. So based on all that, we can date the book of Romans uh, almost certainly, oops, back up there, to A.D. 56 to 57. So, so think about this, all right? So by the time Paul writes Romans, he is a seasoned apostle who has seen God bless him with incredible fruit. And you're there in, in Romans 15. Look at what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, and then notice, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. So, so here's the map again. So of course we know that Jerusalem is down, down here. Um, and, and Illyricum, Illyricum is way up here to the north and to the west of Macedonia. So Paul says, I have fully preached the gospel from here all the way down to here. Now that is a massive region. So Now, now Paul does not mean by that, that that he has shared the gospel with every person that lives in that region, right? No, no what he means 
is that, is that he and his associates had established gospel preaching churches throughout this entire region so that all of these people had at least some access to the gospel. And it really is just an incredible thing to think about. I mean, I mean Paul accomplished more in one lifetime than, than most of us could dream of imagining in several lifetimes. And I think it's also worth emphasizing that by ancient standards, and, and especially considering the hardships that Paul had endured, by the time he writes Romans, he is a relatively old man. I've been reading through Second Chronicles, and you know, a lot of these kings, they're dying. I mean, the majority of them are dying like in their 40s or, or early 50s. You know, so Paul is probably past that, and, and, so he, and, and he's had a hard life. So he's a relatively old man, but, but Paul wasn't about to retire or rest on his laurels. No, no instead, he tells us in the book of Romans that he planned to visit Rome on his way to a Spanish mission. So, of course, first of all, he, he plans to, to deliver the offering to Jerusalem. But, but then he intends to visit Rome. And, um, and from there, uh, he, he intends, Romans chapter 15, verse 20 says, he wants to continue preaching the gospel, not where Christ was already named, by taking the gospel further west to Spain. Now, now we know from the book of Acts that Paul uh, did make it to Rome, though, though he didn't make it there the way he thought he would when he wrote Romans. Because when he got to Jerusalem, he was arrested, and then he got a free Roman escort to Rome. Of course, it wasn't exactly pleasant. He had a shipwreck in Acts 27 and almost died. But he did make it to Rome. And, and when he got there, he, he didn't get to go wherever he wanted. He instead was on house arrest for two years. Though Acts 28 tells us that, that people were able to come freely to him. And so for two years, he had a, a very fruitful home ministry preaching the gospel and discipling people. Now, and, we're, and we're pretty confident uh, based on the evidence we have in, in the pastoral epistles, that after that two years, Paul was ultimately released. And, and that for a time, uh, he was able to travel and, and do gospel ministry, though, though we don't know if he ever actually went to Spain or if God providentially directed him other places. We do know that he went other places uh, based on what he says in First and Second Timothy. But regardless... Paul's zeal to take his Gentile mission as far as he possibly could is a powerful testimony. And I think it's an aspect of Romans that doesn't get nearly enough attention. There's a very often, like I said in my introduction, when, when we think of Romans, all we think about is the doctrine and the controversy and, and the theological debate. But, 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 and we miss the missionary zeal, which really is at the heart of this book. And so I think if we're going to understand Romans, we, we have to understand that, that Paul wasn't passionate about theology merely because he, he liked a good debate or, or he would just love to, uh, to, to know more stuff than other people. He was passionate about theology because he was passionate about evangelism and discipleship and church planning. And he really cared that people heard and believed the true gospel, and that they then lived it out. So, so Paul's missionary zeal is, is a really important, really foundational aspect to this letter. So, so with that said, I'd like to spend the rest of our time 
giving a broad perspective of the contents of the book. And, and this perspective, I think, is, is important for, for seeing how all of this book fits together. So, so let's talk about the purpose of Romans. And I three, see three uh, central purposes to the book. And the first is, is that Paul wants to prepare the way for his visit to Rome and his Spanish mission. So, so he says in chapter 1, verse 8, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So, so the Roman church was well known uh, uh, throughout uh, the, the Christian world as a, as a strong and healthy and Gentile church. And, and we learn in chapter 16 that Paul knew of quite a few people in this church, even though he had never been there. So, so Paul, of course, he's the apostle to the Gentiles, and he is extremely motivated to visit this significant Gentile church, as, as we read earlier in chapter 1, to obtain some fruit among them. So Paul wanted to make an impact at the center of, of the Gentile world as the apostle to the Gentiles. But beyond that, we saw in chapter 15 that Paul felt that he had completed his work in the eastern portion of the Roman Empire. He believed that he had fully preached the gospel in that part of the world. And now he hoped to go west. And he hoped that the Roman church would serve as something of a new sending church for his western mission, like the church at Antioch had served as his sending church for his eastern mission. So, so in sum, an important purpose of Romans is to build a strong connection with the Roman church that Paul hopes will prepare the way for a fruitful ministry in Rome and then a long-term gospel partnership as Paul takes the gospel to new places. And then a second purpose of the book of Romans is to clarify Paul's theology. So Paul had opponents, right? And, um, and you know what opponents tend to do? They don't tend to represent you very honestly. So Paul uh, mentions, for example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 8, that some people, he says, slanderously reported that Paul taught that Christians should sin more to, shine a, to create a brighter contrast with the holiness of God. So, so they're saying, yeah, you know, Paul says you should sin a whole bunch because then we see more clearly the holiness of God. And, and of course, that's nonsense, right? But, but that's what, I mean, don't people do that all the time today? You know, instead of actually dealing with the arguments and the beliefs of someone, they build a straw man and tear down the straw man instead of actually dealing with what the person actually thinks. It happens all the time. Paul's opponents were doing the exact same thing and so he alludes several times in the book of Romans to, to a number of rumors that were circulating about the gospel that Paul preached and the Christian life, the Christian ethic that flowed out of it. And, and folks, Paul understood that, that those things really matter. Now, after all, there's nothing more important than getting the gospel right. Because you, your, your eternity depends on getting the gospel right. And this church also needed a strong understanding of what holiness looks like in a world without the Mosaic Law. Now, now for us, that's no big deal. We, we have no concept of living the Christian life without the Mosaic Law. But for a Jew getting saved, trying to live the Christian life without the laws, you know, like run around in your underwear. I mean, you just feel exposed and like not quite comfortable. And so it's a very uncomfortable, very strange transition for, for, these, 
for these Jewish believers. And so, and so Paul wants to explain to them what holiness looks like in a world without the law and how it is that we rightly pursue this holiness. So, so Paul's going to take a lot of time in Romans to articulate these issues and other things surrounding that transition from life under the law to life under grace. And of course, we are forever indebted to Paul for how he articulates these things. Because there is so much in the book of Romans that, that we have to believe and we have to practice. I mean, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine your Bible without the book of Romans. And it's hard to imagine the church without the book of Romans. So, so we are forever indebted to him for this wonderful book. And then a third purpose of the book of Romans is to address concerns within the church, especially disunity. So, so even though Paul had never visited this church, he clearly has a good sense of what's going on there. And I think that's likely tied to the fact that, that two of his best friends, Aquila and Priscilla, are there in the church. So, so I think we can get a good, we can assume uh, where he's probably getting his information. And specifically, it seems that the Jewish and Gentile factions of the church were debating things like the role of the law. How do we pursue spiritual growth? What is the future of Israel? And all sorts of other things. And, and I want to emphasize again that those are not just debates for a classroom. They have really important life consequences. So, so this church is struggling to, to function together and be unified. So, so what Paul does in Romans is he walks very carefully through his theology in chapters 1 through 11, and then through the application of that theology in chapters 12 through 16. And chapters 12 through 16 get especially practical regarding how we love each other well and how we live as Christians in a dark and perverted world. Now, it's going to be a little while till we get to chapters 12 through 16, but, but I'm excited for what God's going to teach us when we get there. So, so that's his purpose. And, and then uh, let's talk next about the theme of Romans. And, and, and there's a lot of really important themes in the book of Romans. The justification by faith, the transition from law to grace, the unity of Jews and Gentiles in a new people of God. And I'm looking forward to talking about lots of fascinating, important things. But, but all of the themes and every other theme in the book of Romans is summed up in, in the theme statement of the book, which is Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, now folks, this is really important. That, that sometimes we assume that the gospel and justification by faith are essentially synonymous, that they are the same thing, that, that the gospel is how I can go to heaven and how I can be forgiven of my sins, and that's it. But, but verse 17 says that justification is only part of the gospel. Now, the gospel, of course, is, is fundamentally the good news that Jesus died on the cross, rose from, in victory, and that we can be saved by faith. But, but Romans teaches that that is only the beginning of the gospel's work. And through the gospel, I am united with Christ. I am made an heir of God. 
The gospel gives me security for eternity, but, but as Gary read earlier, it also gives me the security that God will sustain me through every spiritual challenge. The gospel changes my heart. It sets me on a radically different life course. And Romans is going to emphasize that the gospel has also radically changed how God's people relate to each other and to the world. You know, in the Old Testament, I mean, God gave Israel the law, and, and a big purpose of the law was to cut Israel off from the rest of the world. You know, as far as relationships go and, and life among the nations. But now, through the gospel, we are no longer to isolate ourselves from the world by creating this monolithic culture. No, no, through the gospel, we love each other across racial boundaries and cultural boundaries, and we gather together in one church, and we go to the nations with an evangelistic zeal. So folks, the gospel changes everything. And our life as Christians is dramatically different than life for a Jew living in Israel in the time of David. So, 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 so what Paul is telling us in this book is that the gospel has to be the center of our entire Christian experience. And I need to live every day of my life anchored in the gospel where it controls my thoughts and my passions, where I am living in the strength of the gospel and where it changes the course of my life. And I hope all that resonates with you, that you love the gospel and you want to go deep in the gospel. And you want to better live the gospel with those around you. And, and, and if so, there's a good chance that you probably already love the book of Romans. Uh, but, but surely uh, you will as you become more familiar with this book. So, so the gospel is the center of Romans. And then finally notice how Romans builds out the structure. So, so as you can see on the screen, uh, there are four major sections of the book of Romans. All right, And, and they're uh, they're bracketed by an introduction and a conclusion. And that, and that introduction and conclusion are very, very important. They're not just, you know, fluff to, before you get to the good stuff. But, but you have four major sections. And, and in the first major section, chapters 1 through 4, uh, Paul gives us um, the heart of, of how we can be made right with God through justification by faith. And then, the best part of Romans, at least in my opinion, maybe the best part of the Bible is Romans chapters 5 through 8, where, where Paul explains the benefits of the gospel and all the wonderful things that we enjoy because we have been made right with God through the righteousness of God. But, but for Paul's Roman, Roman and Jewish audience, a big question they have is, well, if grace has replaced the law, then what does that mean for the future of Israel? Has God abandoned His promises to them? Is God done with Israel? And so in Romans, so Romans chapters 9 through 11 make a very sticky and very difficult argument to grasp. But it's one of massive importance, and I think you'll find one of practical significance far beyond what we sometimes give it credit. And then finally, he gets to the really practical stuff in Romans 12 through 16 about how we live all of this out. So, so I'm excited to see what God's going to do in, among us through this study. And I encourage you to, to read Romans on your own. You know, maybe you know, take some time to, to read through it a few times. Hey, you could, you could be like Martin Luther and memorize it word for word. That's what he said. So you could try that if you want. 
Uh, but, but take time to read it, study it, think on your own. And, and as you do, and as we study this book together, I, I'm confident, I'm sure, that God will greatly minister to your heart. And, and this book will change you. It will change you from the inside out. I mean, this, I mean, man, you know, if, if you understand the Christian life from the perspective of Romans, it changes everything. And, and Daniel was talking about that a little bit in Sunday school. He didn't mention Romans, but, but, but the concepts of Romans is so true. It'll change you. And, and, and as he changes you, he'll change us as a church. And he will use us to reach others with his glorious gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the book of Romans. Thank you for the wonderful truth and theology, the practical wisdom and application that this book provides. And and Lord, I pray that all of us would live lives that are deeply rooted in the gospel. That Lord, we would... I pray for any here that do not know Jesus as Savior, that Lord, they would know you, the Father, through Christ in the gospel. And Father, I pray that, that all of us who know Christ, that Lord, every day we would live our lives anchored in the truth of Romans, celebrating the salvation that we have and encouraged in that salvation to go forward and to live in a way that pleases you and glorifies you and so god i pray for your grace among us i pray that even this week we would walk in the strength and in the help that you provide that we would serve you and be faithful and glorify your name in jesus name amen